Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Well, I just want to say welcome. We're kicking off a brand new series for the month of February called Money Matters. And uh, each year we try to take either one service or we try to do a series and teach on a subject that's critically important to the overall quality of life that each one of us strive for. Now listen, if you're a guest, we don't always talk about this, and usually I preach, but for the next few weeks I'm going to be teaching, and uh, so it's going to be a little bit different than our normal Sunday. But this is such an important subject, and that is the subject of money. Uh, the Barna Research Group did a survey that stated that one of the top factors that was consistent in churches that were the strongest spiritually and financially was that each year the pastor would take time to teach on stewardship. Now, you may not feel like you need this, but how many of us will be honest enough to say, and I don't know anybody that would not like to have a greater measure of financial freedom and security in their life, right? Because money matters. So today and for the next few weeks, I want to share with you some principles that I believe will absolutely change some of your lives if you will get on board. For others, I think it can reaffirm some things that you may already know. And I want to start by reading a passage from the Old Testament where Moses is kind of reminding the children of Israel to remember who their source is. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 10. And it says this, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, and here's the warning, if you forget the Lord, here's what can happen. When you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then you're, if you forget the Lord, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. Sounds like Texas, amen. He brought you, he brought you water. I'm just kidding, Josh, amen. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Nope. Verse, 19, verse 18, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Man, there's some great wisdom in that passage. 
Verse 10 says to praise the Lord for all he has given you. Verse 11, don't forget his commandments and his laws. Verses 12 through 14, otherwise when things are great, you'll get proud. You'll forget that it's the Lord that brought you where you are today. Verse 17 says, don't think you did it by your own power and strength. Verse 18 says, remember it's the Lord that gives you the ability to produce wealth. Amen. Matter of fact, why don't we, before we get started, why don't we just take just a moment and thank God for all of his blessings in our lives. Amen. Father, we're so grateful today for your goodness and your grace. We could have been born anywhere in the world, and God allowed us to live in the richest country at the richest time on the face of the earth. We are blessed. Now, let's jump right in. When we were kids, we scrounged it up to put it in our piggy banks. We go to school to become equipped to earn it. We spend the rest of our lives, 40 to 60 hours a week, actually earning it. We invest countless hours in thought and discussion, sometimes in full-on stress mode, right? Wondering how we're going to handle it. We walk around shopping malls and grocery stores determining how we're going to spend it. Do I want to keep this bar of gold or do I want this dozen of eggs? Amen. <laughs> we, get, we get caught up. More often than we would care to admit, worrying about if we're going to have enough of it. We dream and scheme to figure out ways to get more of it. Arguments over it are among the leading cause of marriage breakups and business shutdowns and government problems. Despair over losing it causes suicides and anger. The obsession with getting it causes many of society's crimes today. Amen. But we cannot afford to ignore the reality of the fact that what? Money matters. It does. See, folks, the Bible doesn't ignore it. In fact, speak, it speaks to the subject head on, eyes wide open, no holds barred. That's why Jesus talks so much about money. 16 of the 38 parables he shared concerned money or possessions. Did you know that there are about 500 verses in the Bible on prayer? There's about 500 on faith. But there's over 2,350 verses on money and possessions. See, the Lord dealt with it a lot because he knows that, well, money matters. It's a big part of our lives. So the Bible really ought to be our guidebook, not only through this series, but through our life with how we mantle our money. Pastor, why are you taking four weeks to talk about money? Well, I'm going to tell you why. And by the way, it's been a while since we've done this. We've, the last several years, we've just hit and miss just occasional messages on stewardship. The reason I feel like we need to talk about this now, number one, inflation has really caused a lot of us to be pinched like we never have before these last few years. That's not a political statement. It's just a fact of life, right? But many of us are feeling the pinch, and we know what financial bondage feels like. Some of you, maybe your wrists have been rubbed raw from chains of indebtedness. Some of you are tired and frustrated about never being able to really make ends meet. You wonder if you're going to get ahead financially. Some of you find yourself saying, I'd do almost anything to feel free and liberated financially. Come on, you don't really want to be mega rich, right? That's, that's not your goal. You, you just would like to be released from some of the chains of debt and the worry and the frustration over finances. I want to tell you something. That's God's plan for you too. I've got good news for you. God's will for your life is freedom. 
not bondage in money matters. Amen? Others of you, maybe you, you don't feel chained down by debt, but you're tired of living paycheck to paycheck. Now, let me just say this. We talk a lot about freedom in this church, amen? And we should, right? Freedom from addictions, freedom from depression, freedom from religious traditions, freedom from demonic strongholds. How many of you are thank, thankful to God that you are free in your life, amen? Freedom from spiritual strongholds in this world. So hear me. Why shouldn't we talk about being financially free? Can I just be, I used to feel really nervous and uptight when I would talk about money. I, I'm not kidding. My wife could tell you, I used to get stressed over it. I, I would get anxious. Even this morning, right before, I mean, I came up here, I thought, oh, there's going to be guests here today, and here we are. But why? Why? I wouldn't have any trouble talking to you about dealing with anxiety or depression or addictions. But we deal with money issues every day of our lives. So I think it's perfectly appropriate for us to talk about how can we be free financially. And God does give us counsel. He says, if you'll follow my plans, I'll bless your life. Over the years, I've been pastor for a while now, I've observed two kinds of failures that really seem to bring out enormous shame in people's lives. And by the way, God wants us also to be free from shame. Amen? But here's the two biggies that I always see. Number one is if somebody confesses some sexual sin that they've committed in their lives, there's always shame associated with that, right? But the second thing that I see a lot of, people also feel shame when they've mismanaged their money and now the roof has caved in on them. And that God does not want us to live that way. See, and the reason we feel shame about our money failures is the same reason sometimes we feel shame about our sexual failures, and that's because we know it's probably our fault. That's not an indictment. It's just the truth. Not always, but usually it's our fault. We should have made some different choices, but we didn't. Maybe we caved into pressure or other forces. Maybe we handled our money irresponsibly. Now it's caught up with us and the roof is caved in and we feel like there's nobody to blame. But at the very beginning of this series, I want to say this. If you have made some mistakes, join the crowd. Welcome to the biggest club in America. Hallelujah, right? Come on. Welcome to the club because everybody in this room has made some dumb financial decisions. Amen? Matter of fact, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, you have really wasted ridiculous amounts of money in your lifetime. <laughs> tell, tell them, say, look at your shoes, for example. No, no, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But hey, come on. Can we just confess it? We've all made some dumb decisions, right? You bought stuff you shouldn't have bought. You focused on stuff you shouldn't have focused on. Hey, guess what? That's one of the repercussions of being blessed. When you're blessed, you make mistakes with your blessings, right? So this is the guilt-free zone. I don't care what you've done to this point. I want to try to help you these next four weeks. Amen. And by the way, before I forget, I didn't tell 9 o'clock this. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about how to de defeat debt in your life. So you don't want to miss that. Amen? But folks, we've got to find our way. And I'm going to just tell you straight up front. There are no magic formulas that will get you out of this. Come on. No hocus pocus will automatically fix your situation. 
Come on, you can spin around three times and say, I'm coming out of it. You can hikam a hakam a hole all you want to. You ain't going to fix it that way. There's some principles that we got to live in order to live financially free. So let's talk about it. What is money? For most of it, it's the green stuff that we spend as fast as we can earn it. Amen? But is that really all it is? Actually, it's helpful to understand what money is not before we describe what it is. So let me start there. Is money your personal worth or your net worth? Because hear me, there's a big difference. And it has a lot to do with the way we think upstairs. By the way, if, if somebody won the lottery or inherited millions of dollars, would that drastically change their net worth or their personal worth? Which, by the way, if you really want to do an interesting study, go home this week and Google what happens to most of those people that win multiple millions of dollars. It doesn't turn out well. Now, I'm just going to go on the record and say, I'm willing to give it a try, though. <laughs> I'm willing, Lord. Put me to the test, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'll show you what somebody can do with $299 million and not fall off the wagon. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Try me, Lord. Just try me. <laughs> but see, hear me. It's a difference in net worth and personal worth. Would the person suddenly become more important? Maybe. Would they become better? No. Many people hear me measure personal worth in terms of possessions or your financial statement. That's not your personal worth. That's your net worth. Here's what the Scripture says about it, Luke 12, 15. Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed, because check it out, your life is not measured by how much you own. Amen? See, when we measure human value in terms of possessions or net worth, we depreciate ourselves, and we are depreciating everybody else around us. Money does not equate personal value. Your character is not measured by how much money you have in the bank. We overlook the fact, hear me, poverty and wealth are a condition of existence, not a measuring stick of personal value. Amen. Can we really change the people we are by making payments on fancy cars or expensive jewelry that we can't afford? No. Do you really become a better person just because you moved into a nicer neighborhood? No. See, too many people think that stuff adds to their stature as human beings, and that possessions can define them as the people they always wanted to be. And that kind of thinking causes false needs to grow into necessities in our minds. The compulsion to acquire takes over and rules our lives, whether it's clothes or cars or motorcycles or sporting equipment or real estate. Our society ties purchasing power too closely to human dignity. Amen. I'm talking about we got to, right in this first message, we got to get a different mindset about how we view money. Because hear me, getting rid of possessions is not the problem. The issue isn't our possessions, it's our general understanding of money itself. The problem is in our heads, not our bank accounts. When we understand that possessions do not equate to personal value, we will free ourselves from some of the worry and stress and maybe even the mountains of debt that we accrue in our lives. That is financial freedom. 
How many of you will agree that some of the happiest people you know in the world are poor folks who have the right attitude about life and God and what's really important? Which, by the way, let me remind you again, almost nobody in America is poor compared to the rest of the world. You hear me say that all the time because we need to remind ourselves of that. But there's a lot of people that don't have two coins to rub, rub together that are as happy as can be because they know that that's not where their self-worth or their personal worth comes from. We got to have money, right, for transportation and clothes and shelter. But we can get into trouble when we move beyond using money to meet our honest needs. A pastor that I know uh, told a story one time about when he was a little boy and where his family was, where they lived and where they went to church. They actually, he lived in just a normal neighborhood. His church was in a normal neighborhood. But he had to drive through a wealthy neighborhood to get to his church. And when he was just a little boy, you know, <laughs> they didn't have much. And they would ride past, and they, and they were lived in Florida, so everybody had swimming pools. and So they would ride right past these churches, on the, these homes on the way to church. And the little boy looked up at his dad, and he said, Dad, he said, man, I wish we had a swimming pool like that. Why aren't those people going to church? His dad would just kept driving. said, son, those people are miserable. Those people are miserable. And they kept on riding. True story. And he saw a house with tennis courts. He said, man, dad, look at those people. They're playing tennis at their house. They're not going to church like we are. He said, son, those people are miserable. Those people are miserable. He passed another house with a big swimming pool. And he said, dad, I want you to look. He said, son, I see that, but those people are miserable. Finally, the boy just looked at his dad. He said, dad. I wish we were miserable. <laughs> I wish we were miserable. Amen. You see, we don't understand. Money doesn't buy you happiness. Misery or happiness, it has so much to do with how we think about what we have. Let me tell you what money is. Here's the real definition of money. It's really simple. Are you ready? Money is a medium of exchange. That's it. It's a tool. Money is neither evil nor good. It's just like guns. Guns are not good or evil. People say guns kill people. No, they don't. People kill people. Right? Come on, somebody. Cars, automobiles are not evil or good. They're a tool of transportation. Automobile accidents kill people, but cars don't kill people. My point is money is the same way. Money is a tool. It is a medium of exchange. And the way money works is we put out labor and we take in money. Then we trade that money for the results of someone else's labor. And in fact, whenever we buy or sell, we are trading our labor for the labor of somebody else. We also buy and sell in relationship to time. That is, we earn so many dollars per hour or so many dollars per week. We charge a price based on how, uh, how many hours we have invested in something. Scripture tells us that at a very basic level, work relates to our ability to feed ourselves. Now, I'm going to talk about work in week number three. But 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says this, whoever does not work should not eat. Now, there's a difference in does not and cannot. A whole lot of people that cannot work, let's take care of them. But the ones who will not work, uh, I'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. See, it's important that we understand there are no legitimate shortcuts to riches. The Bible says the wisdom of this world is foolishness to 
God. Let's look at what else the Bible says about money. Matthew 6 and 24. No one can serve two masters because you're going to hate the one and love the other. Or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And don't miss this last verse. Look, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And see, folks, that's where a lot of people are living right now. You don't feel free in the Holy Ghost. You feel bound spiritually, emotionally, mentally, because you are enslaved to money. And a lot of people are in a prison of their own making. Amen? That magical plastic card in your wallet, it brings with it a lot of impulse buying and a lot of temptation, amen? And by the way, now, here we are, we live in the days of Amazon and the internet. And impulse buying is now the norm, right? I'll give you, I'm just give you a real life example from my life yesterday. There was an item that I needed in my house. I need it for my small group meeting tomorrow night. And I told Robin, I do not feel like going to Walmart. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to go out yesterday. So I said, let me get on Amazon. <laughs> if they can deliver it to my house today, I'm not going to the store. And guess what? It took me about 90 seconds I found my item. I ordered it. It will be sitting on my porch when I get home. Glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> that is the magic of modern technology. But let me tell you what else that is. That is a slippery slope, my friends. You can get in so much trouble. Amen. I, 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 I've watched my money pretty tight. My wife and I, just to let you know that we're real people too and we make mistakes. Man, I tabulated how much money I spent on Christmas this year and I was embarrassed. I told Robin what it was. She said, wow. She said, we got to do better next year. I said, yes, we do. And you know what did it? We already bought all the stuff and then every time I got on Amazon, I started thinking about that little five-year-old boy and that little two-year-old girl. Like, oh, this, this doesn't cost that much. Let me just get this. Man, I love Lauren and Lindsay so much. Oh, they would really like this. And, and I was the one. It was me. It was me. See, folks, that's how you get in trouble. Because we, we forget. We forget that what we're doing, and we get caught in that money, and uh, that trap, and you can become a slave to that. You want to know? And let me just tell you. And, folks, by the way, it's hard to, to live in these kind of easy access environments we live in today because things were different 50 years ago. If you don't believe that, go try to buy you a house and compare a new house to one built in the 70s. One thing you're going to immediately notice the difference in is the size of the closets. That's it. That's what you get. And maybe a one-car garage. If you're lucky. You know why? They did not have as much stuff back then. They didn't equate stuff with value. And nowadays you go and, and, and you go in and we're just totally different, right? Me and my dad. I'll use me and my dad as an example. My dad, I think, had three pairs of shoes at any one time. Work boots, grass-cutting tennis shoes. And I think he had dress shoes, but I never saw him wear them. Three pair. I've got a rack at home with four shelves of shoes. I got dress shoes. I got tennis shoes. 
I got wearing around tennis shoes. I got casual shoes. I got work boots. Amen. I got, I got snow boots that I never get to wear. Glory to God. My dad had about 15 or 20 shirts. He had work shirts and t-shirts. You know what I got? I got dress shirts. I got golf shirts. I got t-shirts. I got sweatshirts. I got hoodies. Amen. By the way, if you don't organize your closet like that, I'll help you out. Amen. And I got a real little bitty section of, of, uh, of jerseys, Dallas Cowboy jerseys. Yeah. Yeah, I'm about to throw them things in the fire. Amen. <laughs> I've got exercise shirts. They're covered in dust, but I've got them. Amen. See, folks, here's what I'm saying. It feels totally normal to me, right? And I go through and I purge my closet out every so often because I get to feeling guilty. But see, we're, we're living in an age where we have to understand that possessions, stuff, does not equal worth. And if we can do that, we can quickly get out of the money trap. See, I'm telling on myself because I want to give all of y'all hope, amen? There is hope. Today, most people can't pay cash for large purchases. You know why? Because we're making payments and interest devoted to other past purchases. We've gotten in the trap. You may say, well, I'm not a slave to money. You are if you can't do what you want to do because of a chain of debt that hangs across you. Here's what the Apostle James, here's how he put it. He said, what is causing, James 4 and 1, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desire at war within you? And notice, here's where he said the fighting comes from. Look. You want what you don't have. So you scheme and kill to get it. He says, you are jealous of what others have. I'm sure none of y'all have ever felt that way, right? But you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And now notice verse 3. And even when you ask, check this out, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. Wow. James is breaking it down. He said, you want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. You say, how does this connect to the world? It's the world's way of thinking. It's the world's sense of values. Amen. And as believers, we got on, James nailed it. We argue and fight because we want what we don't have. Don't raise your hands. How many fights, if you're married, have you had in your, in your marriage over money? Yeah. You don't have to raise your hand. You know. And maybe you don't like to call it a fight. You've had heated, animated discussions. Amen. You've had discouraging conversations. Amen. So much centers around money. How we handle our money, though, tells a lot about our values, our motives, how we give, how we spend. As a matter of fact, folks, I'll tell you, your bank statements probably tell you more about your priorities than anything else. They do. They reflect to you what's important. The scripture even says that your heart and your treasure are closely aligned. Amen? See, there's two economic systems that operate in this world, God's economy and man's economy. And the way most people handle money is in sharp contrast to God's financial principles. Even a lot of Christians... The most significant difference between these two systems is that if you are operating in God's economy, hear me, the Lord plays the central role. 
And that distinction may not seem like much, but it really does make a huge difference. So what does how we handle our money say? Two things. Number one, how we handle money influences our relationship with the Lord. It really does. How we handle our money influences our relationship with the Lord. Jesus equates how we handle our money with the quality of our spiritual life and how much he can trust us with heavenly things. Look at Luke 16, 11. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you, what? With the true riches of heaven. He says, if I can't trust you with worldly wealth, how am I going to trust you with true riches of heaven? See, there is a trust connection. If we handle our money properly according to the principles of scriptures, we grow closer to God. However, if we're unfaithful with it, our relationship with him suffers because trust has been violated. This is also illustrated in the parable of the talents. Now, I'm not going to take the time to unpack that parable today, but the master is congratulating one of the servants that has managed their money faithfully, Matthew 25, 21. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. What? I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Amen. As we handle our money God's way, we have an opportunity to enter into the joy of a more intimate relationship with the Lord, one that's built on mutual trust. Let me give you another reason why money matters matter. Number two, money competes with the Lord for first place in our lives. It does. It's hard to admit it, but it does. Because money is a primary competitor with Christ for lordship in our lives. I already read it to you from Matthew 6, 24. You cannot serve both God and money. One translation said you cannot be enslaved to money. The reason it's such a, co a competing interest with the Lord is sometimes money and the pursuit of money will cause us to work multiple jobs. It causes us to be stressed out. It causes us maybe, maybe to not be able to support the kingdom of God financially. It causes us to not be able to serve the way we want to serve. It might cause us to not to be able to help the poor the way we want to help the poor. There's all kinds of ways that it competes with the Lord for first place. It's impossible for us to be enslaved to money and, and this world's economic system and still serve God as effectively as we should. True story, when the crusaders were being fought uh, when the Crusades, I'm sorry, were being fought during the 12th century, the Crusaders hired mercenaries to fight for them. Now, the Christians did. Because it was a religious war, they actually would baptize the mercenaries before they would allow them to fight for them. Uh, so, I mean, I get, uh, let's baptize you before you go kill for us, right? But the mercenaries would take, and when they were baptized, they would hold their swords out of the water when they were being baptized, to symbolize that Jesus Christ was not in control of their sword. In other words, they felt like they still had the freedom to use their weapons in any way that they wished. Now, though it may not be as obvious as the soldiers were, many Christians today handle our money the same way. We go down in the water of the tank, but hold on, preacher, let me slip my wallet out real fast. God, you can be Lord of my life, but not my money. Lord, I'm going to give you my marriage, but I just want you to let me handle the financial part of this equation. God, I'm going to give you everything I've got, but please don't ask me for a portion of my income. 
See, a lot of times we ask Jesus to be Lord, but we forget he wants to be Lord over your financial picture as well. And I promise you, if you will let him be Lord over your finances, it makes the rest of your life so much easier to navigate. Amen. It makes such a difference. I don't want to be baptized and say, God, everything but my wallet. I want him to be Lord of my entire life. So over these next four weeks, I'm going to talk about several things that can help us to become financially free. But I want to just give you one little nugget here before you go home today. And it's a huge one. It's found right in the Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 and 10 through 10. Are you ready? Here it is. But godliness with contentment, everybody say contentment, contentment. is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But now it tells you what contentment is. Look, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. But will we really? Ask yourself, am I really content with just food and clothing? Verse 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And here it is, verse 10, a widely misunderstood verse. Don't miss out, it's actually right. For the love of money, doesn't say money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many griefs. Man, I thought that is such a good way, many griefs. That covers a whole lot of stuff. Because money will cause people to wander from the faith and pursue things that get them completely off track with life, completely out of sync with their spouse, completely out of sync with God's values for them. But there it is. And I'm going to put it in a formula for you. It comes right from verse 6. Are you ready? Here it is. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. That's the recipe for success. Godliness coupled with contentment equals great gain in your life. Contentment is mentioned seven times in the Bible. Six times it's directly related with, to money. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. I love this verse, Philippians 4 and 11. Paul said, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Verse 12, I love this. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Some of y'all been there, you know. He said, I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And then he said, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul said, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. He said, I've done it. I've been there. I've been there when I had almost everything. I've been there when I've had nothing. I've been there when I just got up from the buffet table, and I'm so full I can barely walk out of the building. He said, I also know what it's like to feel hungry. I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have nothing. He said, but regardless of whatever it is, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. See, Paul understood contentment. And you know we are not born with the instinct of contentment. We are not. Watch any child. My granddaughter, Ava, she's two. Bless her, as soon as she comes to the house, she tries to break into the pantry. <laughs> she ain't hungry. 
But she knows where the Pop-Tarts are. Amen? My grandson, Mason, he likes to head straight. We have one of those freezers where you pull the drawer out on the bottom. He knows where the popsicles are. We're not born content by nature, right? Because we're not. That's just not who we are. We want what we want. And how many of you know that when you're grown up, you still want what you want? Discipline is when I learn to say, you know what? I just got to stay in my lane. I can't have that. I shouldn't have that. I want that, but I can't afford that right now. Come on. We just have to. This is what all this money management thing is all about, being content. Amen. And you might say, well, what does contentment look like in my life? Well, I'm going to tell you how you define it really depends on your specific situation. It does. Maybe you just opened a new business. Contentment for you might be getting cash flow to match the overhead, Right? Maybe financial freedom for you translates into being able to go out to eat once a week without feeling guilty about it. Come on, that's a legit need, right? Some of you, you just want, you just want to, uh, contentment would be, I just want to be able to keep my nose above water without dipping down a few times every week, right? Contentment for some of you might be, I just want to have more, more money than I have month. Amen. See, some of you would feel financially free if you could begin saving instead of worrying and stretching from paycheck to paycheck. Others of you would feel content if you could pay off your debts and no longer run up your credit cards. Still yet, some of us, we're like the old billionaire J. Paul Getty when he said he used to be the richest man in America. They asked him one time, they said, Mr. Getty, how much money is enough? You know what his answer was? Just a little bit more. Wealthiest man in America basically was saying, my appetite is never satisfied. Folks, we don't want to be like that. In the Bible, God promises he will supply our needs and even more. He said he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a financial blessing until what? We won't have room enough to take it in. That's Malachi 3 and verse 10. But first, we've got to align our financial attitudes and our actions with his perspective. I want you to stand with me all over this house. Musicians and praise team, come on up. Now, I already mentioned to you, there is a non-spiritual side to this money management thing, okay? In other words, some of this is you just sometimes have to get out the pencil and the calculator and a piece of paper, and you got to figure out how to make the money work. Uh, that was a weak amen. Can I say here amen? It's a bad word. You're not allowed to say it in most families. It starts with B. Budget. Don't worry, I'm not going to teach on budgeting. There's plenty of resources. You can figure it out. But here's what I want to tell you. There is the practical side, budgeting, paying your bills, making sure you're not spending more than you're making. You, got, you know that already. Maybe you don't know how to do that, but by the way, let me say this. If you don't know how, we have people in this church that will be happy to sit down with you and show you how to live on a budget. Free of charge, confidential. You call the church office, we'll set it up. We also have a financial small group. You may not have noticed it, but they didn't start this past week because it was first Wednesday. And they, they told me to tell you, you can sign up right now. It's not too late. And you can join a financial small group that meets on Wednesday nights. In other words, we want to give you tools to help you. There's the practical side. But I, in this first message, I want us to also remember there's a spiritual side to this, and it starts right here. When I say, God, I need you to change my heart. 
about how I think about money and how I think about stuff. God, I need you to help me to be content. Come on, some of this, that's hard for some of us, right? God, I just need to be content. Lord, I want to learn your plan. I want, I want to learn to live within my means, God, but right now I, it needs to start here with an attitude change and with a heart change about money. See, as Christians, our first priority is to seek God's kingdom. And I want to close this teaching with a long passage from the Bible. And I love this passage. It gives us a summary of really how we want to learn to think and live. This is Jesus teaching us about money and possessions. And here it is from Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19. These are the words of Jesus. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moth eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. He said, store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. He said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. He said, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. Did you know we have financial eyes? We got to keep them healthy. Amen? Because if our eyes want more than they should want, it becomes unhealthy. And notice he said it, verse 23, when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, man, how deep that darkness is. Verse 24, nobody can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. No, this is Jesus talking. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? How many of you will admit, you don't have to raise your hands, this is one of the areas our faith is tested the most, is with the area of money. And then he sums it up, verse 31. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. And in my life verse, verse 33, seek you first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything Amen. See, we got to choose to live and spend with contentment and without focusing on our worries and our fears. People in a relationship with God understand money's purpose. It's a medium, and God says, through it, I will give you your daily bread. So here's what I want us to do right now as we close this service. And I know this is a little bit different altar call than what we normally do. First of all, if you want to pray for healing or if you need salvation, I want to invite you to come up. We will pray for you as well. But I want us, if you will, you can just step out from where you are or stay where you are. It's fine either way. But I just want you to step out and say, you know what, Lord, I just want you to touch my mind about money, 
and about resources and about stuff. Maybe, maybe you just need to hit the reset button and say, ah, you know what? I've gotten a little bit of sl- I've gotten a little bit sloppy with my treasure. God, I want you to help me get back on track. Maybe there's areas in your life that you know, man, I need to be more faithful in this area. I need to be more disciplined in this area. And Because, guys, I'm telling you, hear me. I said it in the beginning. I don't want you to just be free from addiction, free from depression, free from stress, free from anxiety. I want you to be free financially. Because there ain't no pressure like money pressure. Amen? And I don't want you to live under that burden. So here's what I want you to do. As they begin to sing, I just want you to step out from where you are and say, God... I commit my treasure into your hands. I commit my ability to generate wealth into your hands. You are the one, God, that gives me the ability. God, I commit my job into your hands. I commit my budget, my finances into your hands. God, I commit my heart and my desires into your care, God, I want to come in alignment with your will for my life. Thanks for watching. 
Be sure to subscribe to this channel so you never miss one of our videos or live streams in the future. Also, take a moment and share this with a friend. Be sure to join us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. each week live as we celebrate Jesus together here at Life Church. God bless you.